It's time to make the dough rise, the financial podcast with Brian Doe. Well, hello and welcome to another edition of Make the Dough Rise. I'm Walter Storholt alongside Brian Doe, certified financial planner at Livingworth Wealth Advisors, serving you in the Lake Country and beyond with an office in Greensboro, Georgia. You can find the team online by going to livingworth.com. That's livingworth.com. Brian, great to be with you once again. How are you holding up during this coronavirus fallout, shelter in place, quasi quarantine, who knows what to call it these days kind of feeling and uh, kind of activities right now? <laughs> I, I will have to say I am perfectly set up for shelter in place. I am hunkered down in my studio that I've got set up here, <laughs> and this has been the perfect place to shelter in place. And fortunately, I've, I've been able to actually go on with my life uh, pretty much as usual because I'm not in a huge office. I'm not in a place where a lot of people gather. So I've, while the children are home and we're, and I've got some other big news to announce here in a minute, but uh, a lot going on. And so it's been very nice to be able to maintain my routine and, and get into the office. Okay, big news. I'm not going to let you let that dangle out there for very long. What's the big news you got to share? Well, we've we've talked about it in the past, but uh, first of all, let me ha- say that if you are looking for a market indicator, specifically a market indicator of doom, sell-offs, crashes, and other unpleasantries for your portfolio, my life is a perfect leading indicator of market calamities. <laughs> okay. I don't know so, if I should laugh at and, that. <laughs> and, and let me just roll the tape back for you here just a minute. So in, in April of 2000, I got into this industry and started at Merrill Lynch three days before the, the dot-com bubble started busting. And then we rode into September 11, and it was three years of mayhem. Then in 2009, when I went independent and left the, the big brokerage firms and and went the independent route, and we were having our third child, the depths of the financial crisis hit. And a month after I left, I think we bottomed out in March of uh, 2009. So anytime I make a major life change or a career change, it correlates exactly to a market disaster. You're you're the canary in the coal mine. I'm the canary in the coal mine. So good news, bad news, good news, We've sold the house and we have found a new one. And this whole saga of showing the house and you know keeping our, uh, I think I used the fat man with uh, sucking in his belly for the photo uh, analogy before. And that's how I feel when we're having to show the house. It's like, we, we suck it in, we look pretty for the picture. And then as soon as they get done with the showing, we all the mess comes back out. And we've been doing that for... Like what I think we did about six, seven months, but it, it seems like six or seven years. Wow. Wow. So the house is sold. Congratulations. That's fantastic. And uh, you did it kind of, you know, right as all of this stuff was starting to hit, which is, you know, kind of fortunate to be out now because I imagine trying to show the home over the last couple of weeks, you know, very difficult for a lot of people to do who are trying to move. Yeah, I guess that would be fortunate because we did get we, this was a contract with a couple that was retiring into the spring. They they had a very long time horizon for closing. The people we're buying from have to make some moves and changes. So we've actually had this on the books for a couple of months now, uh, maybe a little bit longer. And so we're we're moving ahead and uh you know to have all of this coronavirus stuff hit right in the middle of this 
as I'm taking on the new obligation and getting everybody, you know, set up with a little more space, it's going to come with a little more expense. So I have no choice but optimism, Walter. Well, that's fantastic. Well, hey, do us a favor. Next time you're going to have a major big life change, let us know right away so we can start, you know, it sounds like getting out of the stock market. You know, we can go ahead and we can time the market finally successfully with your help of major life changes and events. That's, that's yeah, good. Buy puts, uh, <laughs> good, you know, good to use a, a short market ETF, something. There's, there's lots of choices there. <laughs> there sure are. There sure are. Well, we're going to kind of talk a little bit about that today, not so much on the timing of markets front. Uh, we've, we've talked about that lots of times before, but we are going to talk about investing and how to do it in this post-coronavirus world that we're in. Maybe not post-coronavirus, but at least post the initial shock and crash of everything that's gone on, Brian. And uh, we've got a lot to kind of wade through and focus. We're in a different world now, uh, just in general, and that certainly translates to the investing in the financial world, I would imagine, in uh, several different elements as well. So what really jumps out to you at this point for savers and investors and those approaching retirement that they need to be thinking about of how the world's changed and how we might need to approach investing and our financial lives a little bit differently? Yeah, I, I think uh, obviously we are intra-coronavirus right now. We're, we're, we're in the midst of it. But a lot of the things that we've been talking about for a couple of years now as problems and things to navigate around uh, just got amplified. And we watched several shifts and, and uh, adoptions take place that are going to probably dictate pretty heavily what will do well in the future and uh, what what may not do as well. But I will have to say it has been unbelievable to watch a 20 trillion plus economy actually shut down. Now, obviously, we're, we're, you know, the whole world has basically had to shut down. But when this idea got floated of shutting the economy down for a month or two, and you look at all the airplanes grounded and parked on the, the runways of, of major airports and uh, all of the restaurants and you know just things that we use day to day just truly had to shut down. This is very different than the the dot-com bubble, which was cooked up within the financial system. That was an overvaluation of of tech stocks. And if you go back to 1987, that was really a a function of a market glitch where, I don't want to get too much into the the technicals of it, but people were were writing put options. And when the market sold off, it, it triggered a selling wave. Uh, so that was within the financial system. And then the mortgage crisis also was, was really a problem within the financial system itself. And so you can you could sort of quantify what was wrong and what mistakes were made and, and then calculate, you know, what, what was I going to cost and, and we could get on about our lives. This has been a truly external event. And it's incredibly hard to predict where this is going to go, how bad it's going to get, how long it's going to last. Is this going to resurge? Are they going to create a vaccine? It's totally external to the financial system. And and I guess that's what really scared me about it at at first. Uh, Once I realized, um, you know, this, we don't know what this is going to do. This is, you know, a disease uh, and infectious disease science is not my, not my specialty at all but watching it translate to the market has been um, you know just a, a bit unsettling because I feel like and you know, we've had 
SARS and MERS and bird flu and swine flu and, and Ebola. Every time in the past, we were able to get ahead of those. The you know, CDC got involved. The World Health Organization uh, didn't seem to be as, as uh, corrupted by China's influence. And they were able to head these things off before they actually reached the U.S. So I think there was a lot of uh, complacency about, or maybe confidence would be a better word, in our ability to handle these events and stop them in, before, before they hit. Well, now that it's actually hit, I feel like we are in a position much like Taiwan was back in, 93, uh, in 2003 when SARS hit. And they were caught off guard. They had to shut down the economy. They, and, and they learned their lesson and they dealt with it. And so they have been the standouts in controlling this in, in the current wave. So hopefully we'll learn our, we, we will learn our lessons. We'll be better prepared. We'll have the stockpiles of medical equipment and uh, protective equipment and ventilators and all those kinds of things. But um, it's, it's going to be a very different world. Well, it's just been so, I mean, uncertainty leads to, uh, you know, volatility in the market. We've seen that time and time again. And I just don't know if we've had this amount of uncertainty, you know, in quite some time. Certainly there was an element of it in, in 2008 when we went through that. In 9-11, there were, was a lot of uncertainty in the days after uh, the attacks and trying to figure out what was next for us as a country and for us as a world. But this just kind of has a whole different feel to it because there isn't that, or at least there hasn't been that light at the end of the tunnel to start giving people that confidence. You know, how long is the shutdown going to extend? What other problems is this all going to create? And I know that that causes a lot of nervousness for folks and also a lot of question marks for how to invest from this. I mean, will we see another bottoming out? Um, you know, what, it, what happens if uh, we see a resurgence in cases? What if it comes back in the fall? Um, you know, there's just so many questions that are still left unanswered, even if we have stabilized, at least for the moment. And I know that makes the whole investing world likely very tricky f to navigate and, and figure out for folks. Yeah. And so maybe one place to start is to, to try and calculate the cost of the coronavirus. And, you know, right now we're you know, pretty much on shutdown. And if you add up the uh, gross domestic product of our economy, we're, we're looking at a 20 to $25 trillion uh, economy that has been stopped for a couple of months. Well, 10% of GDP would be two or $3 trillion. And so if you look at the stimulus that they're proposing, the PPP and the CARES Act and, and all that stuff, it, they're going to be at two and a half to three trillion dollars very quickly. And, you know, maybe that is enough of a patch to get us through this, but help everybody, you know, pay their bills and be able to feed their families. And, and although it's not an ideal scenario, but that becomes the cost. And what's happening is, is the government is just throwing money at everything where there's a problem, whether it's airlines or small businesses or the oil sector and energy sector right now is is having issues with the uh, lack of demand for for gasoline and energy. And so Steve Mnuchin was on, uh, uh, Treasury Secretary, was on, on the uh, podium at the press conference the other day, and he says, you know, right now is not the time to worry about the debt. Okay. All right. Well, I, I can agree with that. The government there as a lender of last resort, as a backstop, uh, as someone to you know provide liquidity and confidence and keep the system working I, I'm all for that however never do they find a good time to worry about the debt so we're about to add 
<laughs> probably three to six trillion dollars to the national debt when we were in good times adding a trillion dollars a year to the deficit already. So again, all the things that I've talked about in the past and my concerns about debt, demand for government programs, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, veterans benefits, the, the cost of all those now add to that you know, interest on the debt. And the fact that they never worry about this, and they never do that. So every time there's a crisis, we did this during the financial crisis, massive stimulus and bailouts, and now we're doing the, the same play, basic playbook with coronavirus. And again, those things need to be done. They're what you want a strong government and central bank to be there for. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think they're ever going to come back and, and worry about this. And so that, that presents some potentially predictable financial issues for taxes and inflation, things like that. And then the other thing that we've seen is just the um, some shifts to uh, certain technologies and things that actually re represent some really good opportunities. So we'll, we'll talk about both of those. It's amazing uh, how when the $350 billion was announced as part of the you know stimulus package, the different waves that came through, it was just amazing. We had already been talking about you know numbers in the trillions for so long that my reaction to $350 billion was, well, that's not very much. That doesn't sound too bad, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they, we've definitely turned a mental corner when that becomes the case. It's, uh, it's really hard to wrap your mind around some of these big numbers, Brian. Let, let me just divert here for a minute and we, we can decide whether we want to leave this in or not. But do you know how long it takes to count to one trillion? If you were to count one number per second, Ooh. so one Mississippi, two Mississippi, and assuming that you could get 999,999,999,999 out in one second, how long would it take you to count to a trillion? I would think over a thousand years to get there. 32,000 years. 32,000 years. I guess the numbers, yeah, it's a trillion seconds time, however many seconds are in a year. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, you crunch it out on the, uh, wow. the calculator. It, it comes yeah. up to 32,000 32, years. years. And so people have so little comprehension of a trillion. And, you know, Donald Trump, who's, who's done, you know, multi-billion dollar deals, I don't know if you saw him when he was signing the um, the legislation for the the PPP and CARES Act, but he kind of looked at it. And he was like trillion. He, he he couldn't even believe he was putting his name on something that had a T, you know, multiple T for trillions uh, deal on it. So it's a lot it's of zeros. <laughs> It really is a lot of zeros. So what's the what's the damage? I mean, what what are we doing to ourselves here? Yes, we don't. This is not the time to worry about the debt. I realize we have this immediate crisis that we're trying to solve and help people put food on the table. But we're also kind of like, you know, we're fixing our leg up while we're ignoring, you know, the fact that our arm was cut off, too. And we're still, you know, bleeding out in a different part of our body. That's a very graphic example, but it's kind of what we're doing. Yeah, right? well, it's, it, it's bloody. Yeah. So, uh Again, there's going to be some obvious short-term damage. You know, earnings, we're going to have a recession, we're going to have high unemployment. Uh, the the short-term numbers could look particularly bad. And obviously, small business, this is going to have a ripple effect as small businesses, you could have uh, foreclosures, failures, uh, inability to pay mortgages. Uh, it, it could get really bad for a, a big segment of the population very quickly. And that, that becomes very quantifiable number and hopefully some of this stimulus and, and bailout uh, activities will, will help mitigate that for most people. But, you know, it is definitely going to have a 
short-term impact as earnings come out, as um, you know, the cost of, of maintaining employees and benefits, and if sales were were hit hard, there could be some very short-term damage to earnings and to you know the the balance sheets and companies who are carrying significant amounts of debt and and have been engaged in financial engineering for too long. It could be pretty impactful uh, for them. So that's kind of the the short-term hit that we could take. But like I mentioned with Taiwan back in 93, if we can learn our lessons from this and be prepared for this type of thing in the future, this will pass. I mean, this is going to pass, whether it's an accelerated vaccine or if the social distancing works and we, we can modify our behaviors a little bit to prevent the spreads and protect vulnerable populations. You know, it, it's going to pass. But in the meantime, it's just it, it's, it's kind of hard to tell how bad the, the short term damage is going to be. But if you're a long term investor, if you're adding to positions or if you're a income oriented investor and you've got a good defensive portfolio with the right positions in there, you can really wait this out. Well, I think that's that's helpful uh, for a lot of folks to at least see a little bit of a light at the end of the tunnel and help them kind of understand that. And you know, this is going to change a lot of things in our world, Brian. You know, we we think about it in the scope of investing, but even outside of that, there's just so many different things that are going to come out of this that are going to take businesses in different directions. We'll have businesses probably created out of this whole pandemic that didn't exist mm-hmm. and wouldn't otherwise exist. I mean, that's going to be one of the fascinating things to watch too. It's it's not all bad news from that standpoint no no absolutely not i think if, as long as you're if you're optimistic about it and look forward a little bit uh read the tea leaves you, you can find some good things here to focus on and actually take advantage of it and obviously one of those long-term shifts that we're seeing is the very accelerated adoption of technology okay we've had the ability to do zoom meetings in fact you and i are doing this Right now, uh, we've done this for some time. You're up in North Carolina. I'm in Georgia. And we've we've got uh, Andrea riding shotgun here, monitoring and keeping us organized. And she's up in Michigan. So we, we've been doing this. But my parents and uh, there's a lot of grandparents out there that suddenly figured out, well, in the past, they might have had some resistance to what's a Zoom meeting? How do I do? Oh, I don't know how to log on to those these high-tech uh, web conferencing things. Well, out of necessity, a lot of people have suddenly figured out it's not that hard. Yeah, You, you can just you know, get a, click a, a couple of buttons, and once you get the little app downloaded, you can do uh, virtual meetings, and they, I've seen them do virtual birthday parties and reunions and weddings, and, and it just everything is, is, is happening on these technology platforms. Ch- change is tough and, when it's voluntary, Brian, but it's a lot easier when you're forced into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so maybe just a good kick in the pants is, is what we needed to, to, to get these adoptions going on. Well, it's interesting that uh, we're going to see those long-term shifts, and it'll be more than even just some of the the basic technologies. We're going to see it in, I think, a lot of uh, a lot of different realms, ones that we don't even you know have on the tip of our tongue or even know about at the moment. But we're going to see more come out of that. But we can't just keep solving this problem, or maybe we can, Brian. I don't know. By just you know, we just keep printing money. I mean, what if this thing does have a resurgence and it keeps going? Can we keep staving it off by? printing more and more money without continuing to, you know, hurt ourselves more and more? Well, you've heard the uh, uh, the mother of all battles when, when Saddam Hussein was 
flexing back in the uh, back of the day. Well, I want to talk about the mother of all bad ideas, and that is modern monetary theory. And this is what's getting floated around these days where there's this belief that we can print governments can print as much money as they want. And the proponents of this are arguing that you could use this to, you know, the Green New Deal. They, we can just print as much money, use as much debt as we need to, and uh, create these new transforming technologies and energy sources. Or uh, universal basic income. We can we can just, just print the money, get it out there. It, governments can carry any amount of debt. I don't know what history class or economics class these people missed, but if you go back to, um, you know, Germany uh, prior to World War II, they printed so much money it devalued their currency. Uh, recently, Zimbabwe actually, and I have uh, copies of these hundred trillion dollar notes. And I don't know if you've ever met a quadrillionaire, Walter. Have you ever met a quadrillionaire? I have not, but I saw. I thought it was fake. It looked like fake Monopoly money with the trillion dollar bill, right? Yeah, no, it was a hundred trillion. Well, hundred trillion. Hundred trillion. <laughs> Yeah, and it was worth about forty cents, I think, at oh the time. Oh my gosh! Uh, so you, you couldn't even buy a loaf of bread with that. But when the when the currency collapsed, uh, they were selling stacks of these things on eBay, and so I, I, I went and bought a bunch of them just to make the point and to prove the point that you can't infinitely print money. Well, I had ten of these notes, ten one hundred trillion dollar notes. So I was a quadrillionaire. quadrillionaire. Wow! So now you know. You could have, uh, if only that rebounds one day, you could pay off all our debt for the whole country. That's right. That's right. I'd be happy to. <laughs> My goodness. So so obviously we run into some very big problems. And then the way we, we counteract and fix those things, you already alluded to it. We were already raising alarm bells talking about increasing taxes in the future. It just seems like that's an even more obvious proposal now. To me, the writing is on the wall. I mean, we, we can't just keep printing money, keep racking up debt, and have all these unfunded liabilities infinitely. Ultimately, that's going to come home to roost as higher higher taxes as the problem compounds. And we've certainly talked plenty of shows uh, on this program before. If you want to go back and listen to some past episodes about then the complications and the things that come out of potentially higher taxes in the future and some of the strategies for how to certainly deal with that. So uh, do you have a proposal, Brian? Is there a better way that we could be going about this or doing this or the next time it comes around that we need to do something like this? Is there a different direction you'd suggest? Well, I, I don't know that I have a dramatically better proposal for what they're doing, but uh, I do have a proposal. And instead of just giving everybody checks and you know just pumping money into the system, what we need is another baby boom. If you look at population growth, it has declined to one of the lowest levels in history. If you look at what got us out of the Depression, it was really World War II, but then what propelled us out of the debt bomb that we were in after World War II was the baby boom. And if we're going to keep the system going, we need bodies and we need growth. And people are having fewer children. They're having harder times buying homes. And if you look at the the millennials who've uh, come into this job market during the financial crisis, and of course, now we're getting hit with the coronavirus, that's that's not going to be good for any of those people. And so I'm going to propose a baby stimulus. I think instead of just doling out money to anybody and everybody, short of you know, necessities, I think they ought to have a uh, you know ten thousand dollar or a twenty thousand dollar bounty for anybody that has a baby for the next 
several years. We need we need to do something to help <laughs> people move forward and actually grow our population so that we can sustain this. Can we uh, scheme that we've got? Can we pass that here in like the next uh, within the next couple of months? Because we're probably looking at starting a family, uh, you know, probably about a year or so from now. Maybe maybe a little longer than that. We'll see how uh, things come out of the coronavirus. But that that might benefit uh, very well right there. I like that proposal. Let's, I, I approve it. Yeah, I, it I think place. it would. I think let, let, let's help. Let's really actually you know do something that's going to give us a long term stimulus and uh, instead of just throwing money at. Uh, yeah, just, just pure consumerism. Well, this is definitely one of those things that a lot of people, I think, Brian, are um, you know, kind of predicting that because so many people have stayed at home for this long period of time with significant others, uh, that there may actually be a baby boom. A, out of a this December whole thing. baby boom, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. I've heard It'd that. be interesting to see the data when we get to that, uh, when we get to that stage and get to that point. I don't know if the financial complement will be there in terms of a baby stimulus, but the babies may be there nonetheless. Uh, yeah, I've seen some data on this in the past where the most births are. And I think September was always one of the biggest months. And uh, December was always one of the lowest. And specifically, December 24th through the 31st, there was there was almost none or an incredibly low number of births. And it's because they are able to induce labor now. And so they actually go ahead and, and, and we, we ran into this when our uh, first uh, child was born. Uh, she was a little bit overdue and uh, she was born December 20th, which they, they finally brought us in and induced so that everybody could have the holiday <laughs> off. That's pretty funny. Yeah. And then they just try and lighten the census a little bit through that, uh, through that week of the holidays between mm-hmm. Christmas and New Year's. How about that? We'll measure this Christmas That's and right. see if everybody's, uh, if, how, how the baby ward's doing. So what other, uh, b- besides the baby stimulus, what are some other steps or solutions that people can look at in terms of turning things around financially? And, and let's move on to the investing portion of the conversation. So as we pull out of the coronavirus situation, where are some places we can be looking right now? Well, metrics are going to matter going forward. It, passive investing had become very popular with broad market ETFs, low cost, broadly diversified, and most people didn't out most active managers, you know, really didn't outperform their benchmarks over time. So, very passive investing had become quite popular. Well, when you do that type of investing, well, you get a little bit of retail, you get a little bit of airlines, you get a little bit of everything. And I think it's going to be more important now to pick the right, at least sectors, you know, maybe you want to diversify within the sectors or individual securities and actually go looking for the companies that have strong balance sheets, that have a history of uh, increasing dividends, that have good dividend payout ratios. And um, not just blindly picking up a little bit of everything, there are going to be winners and losers going forward. And a good example of this, there's a fund uh, that is a high dividend. It it actually packages up 100 of the top dividend paying stocks. Uh, The symbol's DVY if you want to look it up. I had been making a rotation from this high dividend ETF, exchange traded fund, to another one that goes by the symbol of IEV, and it is a high growth dividend. Okay, now it's, it's got a lower dividend yield, but the growth rate of the dividend was higher. And I started thinking 
uh, well, maybe these older, staler companies, they've got great dividends, but there's more innovation and dividend growth here. It may be time to make the leap and the transition. And I was getting a lot of questions like, like why, why are we buying this IEV? My income number has gone down. Uh, I'm, I'm not getting as much income as I was from this other security. And it was by thought that, you know, there's more, this is where the future is going to be of high dividend stocks. And it's the ones that have very high dividend growth rates today. So I had begun making that transition about six months ago. And as we've gone through this coronavirus, obviously it crept up on us and it was a surprise, but that high growing dividend ETF held up dramatically better than the pure high dividend ETF. So uh, I would like to say I had completely made the move and, and made the transition, but it, 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 the high dividend strategy was a winning strategy. It works well for income plans. But as I've watched how these two different securities have behaved through this crisis, uh, I think it's important that we look at companies with you know a history of growing dividends and a prospect for growing dividends. And, and maybe a good example would be uh, a consumer staples area. Uh, I've actually got a lot of Hormel stock, Hormel Foods, the, uh, the inventor and maker of, of Spam. And I saw a, uh, a, a funny meme the other day. It said, back in 1937, Hormel made their first batch of Spam. And now because of hoarding and demand... They're making their second patch. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. So you got, anyway, spam's been flying off the shelf. And, and through all the, the pandemic here, that stock has hit 52-week, or actually all-time highs. And so when you look at them, they've got very low debt. They have a very high dividend coverage ratio. They've increased their dividend every year for decades. And so that's the type of quality that you want to uh, start discriminating and buying these higher quality companies. Uh, Procter & Gamble instead of Colgate-Palmolive. Colgate-Palmolive has one of the highest debt levels of any company in the country relative to their earnings. So you want to be I don't want to, I'm not saying that everybody can turn into a uh, financial analyst or a certified financial analyst, but these these are the types of things that you want to look look for in the future. Lots of different little moving parts. I know that um, you know one area where where we've certainly looked. Um, you know, you talk about foods and, and that kind of thing. We've certainly transitioned even more so, big time on uh, adopters of like online shopping, that kind of thing. So we mm-hmm. we'd already been you know pretty heavily buying things on Amazon versus going to traditional stores, and now it's even more yep. so. I, I didn't mind going to the grocery store, Brian, but my wife to try and limit my trips out of the house <laughs> started just you know. Sliding in Instacart orders and you know grocery delivery. Mm-hmm. I even saw Panera is doing Panera grocery delivery, and kind of interesting. We you know no longer eating out right now. We were getting Blue Apron meals, uh, three three mm-hmm. meals per week from Blue Apron. So they'd send us a box once a week with the equivalent of three meals in there that we would then cook together. Well, to that we've now added a a local seafood share. So we get uh, every Thursday, every Thursday we stick our cooler outside 
and uh, at some point during the day, um, a you know a driver comes around, drops fresh seafood right into our cooler, puts a little bit of ice in there for us, and then we grab it at the end of the day. Now we've got fresh uh, fish and and seafood uh, getting delivered once a week, and we've even now tried a vegetable delivery service. So we get a huge bag of vegetables delivered once a week, and they just drop the bag off, and we've got a whole bunch of fruits. It's fruits and vegetables. It's a fruit and vegetable delivery service, all local locally locally uh, farmed vegetables and so kind of kind of cool so we don't really have to go out and yeah I, th- do I think those will be the big winners <laughs> and, and the things that reduce the contact and the touching and inserting your cards and yes mm-hmm. anything that can go to to a virtual or touchless is going to be a, obviously something that's going to have to be adopted going forward uh, I got to think we got to throw gaming in here right? Well, that's the one thing about having the kids at home, <laughs> and they can't get together with their friends as much. We've we've got a couple of cousins. Uh, our families have we've got three cousins locally and four up, you know, just an hour up the road, and so we've kept our quarantine circle to family. But boy, they're missing their friends. But I have one daughter that's really into Minecraft and gaming, and she's got the headset and her little microphone. She's in there carrying on all day long, laughing and talking to people. And I'm like, what? What's going on? And she, well, she's got a friend from Nevada and one up in Atlanta. And they're all connecting on this game that they're all able to you know, have different characters and play and do different exploratory things in Minecraft. And so, yeah, I think any, any of the gaming, compare that to event type sports where you've got everybody coming together in these huge stadiums i I think things are going to migrate to uh you know to online in multiple facets of our lives i've heard some uh financial advisors talk about hey now's a great time to get into some of the things that are really hurting you know like now's the time to buy airlines and cruises and you're getting the chance to buy low on some of those things are you kind of on the on the opposite end of that thinking that that's still not a, a wise choice to jump into those things at the moment yeah, they, I mean, the cliche saying that they have in investing is don't try to catch a falling knife. Uh, it'll just cut you, obviously. But, um, you know, I've, I've got a couple of people that wanted to speculate uh, maybe on Boeing because that is a very strategic, you know, like national security asset. And obviously as a big defense contractor and as you know, it's really a duopoly of, of in, in the aircraft Industry and that's that's Airbus and Boeing, Embraer, I guess, a little bit down in in Brazil. But I've had some people that bought into Boeing because they had the 737 issue. And then, of course, when the shutdown and and parking and and canceling of orders of all these jets, again, that's going to be temporary. But I think that one would come back. I mean, the cruise lines and, uh, you know, hotels and gaming and and things like that, I, I, I would be very, very wary of. At the moment, if you have the appetite for the risk, if you you know really believe in those things, I certainly wouldn't hold you back. But I would not make a major, major uh, bet on those. So where where do we go from here, given all of these different moving parts and things that we need to consider, Brian? Obviously, it's a lot to kind of keep in front of us. So what are some so maybe some action steps or some things that we should keep in mind as we turn the investing page over the next couple of weeks and months and, and try to figure out our next steps? Well, sure. So let me let me talk about two categories. Let's talk, let's talk about conservative investments like like bonds and cash, CDs type and things like that. The conventional wisdom on bonds, I think, has gotten maybe not turned on its head, but it it has shifted pretty dramatically. And 
with yields as low as they are and interest rates as low as they are, buying bonds has become almost all risk with no return. In other words, you've got rising interest rate risk. You have credit risk if, if companies default. Uh, you've got duration risk, which is the, the risk you take for putting for locking money up you know, for a long longer time period. And uh, if you add all of that up, bond prices have gone up dramatically as rates have gone down. Well, the opposite will happen when rates go up. Bond prices will come down. And so I was having a conversation with a retired client several weeks ago, and we were looking at the bond average, the Lehman aggregate bond average. And bond prices had increased by about uh, 12, 13% in, in a relatively short period of time. And the yield, the dividend yield that, that you get on that, that bond index was about 2.5%. So I was making the argument, I said, look, you've received the equivalent of four years worth of dividends in gains on the price of these bonds. So holding and and putting money into long maturity bonds, I just think comes with a, a tremendous amount of risk relative to a very little bit of reward. And so what I'm encouraging people to do is actually use high yield money market or very short duration or, or adjustable rate uh, bonds as their defensive position because I, I just I think we're gonna hit the end of the road here for what what bonds can really do. And I think people don't realize that as rates go back up, that can actually be very damaging to the value of your bond portfolio. So so caution with bonds and I think we need to rethink that. Well in rethinking that too, then that gets into what do you own in your IRAs? Well, we've, we've done a podcast on asset location in the past if people want to go back and listen to that. But the things that are now at most risk, in my opinion, were the things that you want to own in your IRAs. Bonds, corporate bonds, REITs, uh, master limited partnerships, it, it as energy centric as a lot of those are. All of these now seem to make relatively poor investment choices. And these were the things that you wanted for tax efficiency in your IRA. So there's going to be some rethinking about that because the one opportunity I do see in bonds is going to be in municipal bonds. Municipal bonds tend to be a individual purchase. There's actually some reward for taking on a longer maturity. Uh, and, and when I say it's an individual market, institutions, endowments, foundations, uh, pension funds, they tend not to buy municipal bonds because uh, they have tax preferential status. And, and so they tend not to buy the municipal bonds that are, are lower yielding. Well, if you buy municipal bonds outside of your IRA and get the tax advantages and a little bit higher yield and quality, uh, you can overcome some of the safety uh, asset allocation, diversification, things that you need to accomplish with your portfolio. But uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm going to be more careful with uh, bonds and, and particularly high yield bonds. I have not had any of those in my portfolios. Uh, those have just gotten hammered uh, lately because of the risk. So uh, on the conservative end, I'm going to get even more conservative and go to high yield cash, money market, CDs, all those very defensive things and actually trimming back corporate bond, mass limited partnership and REIT positions. 
Then at the other end of the spectrum, with stocks, well, if you look at all the the transformations and and changes taking place, what we're going to avoid retail Macy's. Uh, there's going to be companies that uh, th- this is going to be the end of them. And, and Macy's has tried to go you know, into online and and uh, mail order and stuff like that. But boy, they have a huge retail footprint. And I have to believe that that maybe not them specifically, but other uh, companies like them could be at risk here. That's it, kind of like Blockbuster. They have they couldn't pivot fast enough because they were so big to try and keep up with the the Netflix and and all the digital changes that were happening during the the online you know video watching explosion. Yeah, and, and they had their their business model that they were entrenched in. So the idea of giving that up to go to a mail order CD thing was uh, anathema to them. One retail stock that has done well is Costco, and obviously we've all seen the lines and everybody you know buying five hundred rolls of toilet paper <laughs> and you know fifty pounds of meat to stick in the freezer and all that stuff at Costco. But uh, I was I was listening to a commentator yesterday. They said once everybody realizes that they've got a lifetime supply of some of these things, how is Costco going to have a better month than they just did this past month for a long, long time? And there, if you look, follow their stock price, it, it has definitely gone up. Well, and, and like your Blue Apron stock, I, that's the one we should have bought before the crisis. I think it went from 250 a share up to 15 or something like that. So could have made a lot of money if you had anticipated this, but airlines, entertainment, um, yeah, there, there's definitely some some risks there, and then even within the REIT, uh, real estate investment trust category that I talked about, you're going to have to be very careful here because there are REITs that specialize in Class A office space or those that have triple net lease properties that they use for restaurants and drugstores and all these you know corner uh, and Main Street type shopping and and dining places, even long-term care facilities have gotten hit hard with this coronavirus. And I don't know if people may, obviously they've got an extra cost of compliance and protecting their, their residents. But I think I have to believe a lot of people are going to be looking at stay at home or remain at home technologies, as opposed to more aggressively moving to assisted living or or long-term care type facilities. So which REITs you buy and which stocks you buy could have a big impact. Well, it's definitely interesting to look at all of these things in sort of this, you know, uh, case-by-case basis and, and, you know, pick and choose as we look through all these different investments, Brian. But, you know, how does it all work with your investing and planning and, you know, your process of guiding people to and through retirement with successful financial plans? You know, are you looking at these opportunities and everybody's portfolio? How has your process changed through all of this? And, and how can people still get the same great guidance that they did in the pre-coronavirus world? Yeah, well, I think I, it's going to sound counterintuitive, but I actually think people are going to have to go in a direction that we would have previously considered more aggressive. And I'm using air quotes there because well, I'll give you one example. I've got a, a client with multiple trust accounts. And one of them is a generation skipping trust, which letting that grow for future generations has tax advantages as opposed to a a current income trust. We had made a move uh, maybe a year, year and a half ago to buy some of these future 
oriented names, uh, whether it's financial technology, whether it's the online shopping, DocuSign for electronic signatures, Dropbox for electronic storage. We'd put a lot of names like this into this generation skipping trust. And it made the client a little nervous because these were these were, I think there was a perception from the dot-com bubble that these could be you know, riskier or overvalued or uh, you know, potentially companies that could just altogether fail and, and fall apart. But those have been the very stocks that have done spectacularly, even through this crisis. I don't know if you're familiar with a company called Shopify, but you know Amazon and you know eBay. Well, Shopify provides online storefronts for retailers and and resellers that want to set up their own online store and not just have to go through Amazon or go through the auction process at eBay. And they've actually just overtaken eBay as the, the, it would be Amazon, Shopify, then, then eBay are the big online shopping stocks that are out there. So all of these things that we might perceive as more aggressive or futuristic, I think you really need to say what are going to be the Procter and Gambles and the the three M's and the you know GEs, which you know, obviously the, a, lot, a couple of those companies are having serious problems today. Um, which ones are going to be those names in the future? Is it going to be Google? Is it going to be Amazon? Is it going to be DocuSign and Go to Citrix, which makes GoToMeeting? I, I think you really have to to look at those names and incorporate those more into a portfolio. Obviously, the other big trend that's coming is is 5G. We, we hear a lot of talk about it and a lot of uh, what capability that's going to bring. But uh, the, the companies that can take advantage of artificial intelligence, virtual reality, video, podcasting, because this is this is a zero contact way for me to keep in touch with a lot of people. So these, these are all the waves of the future. So, Walter, have you heard of a guy uh, by the name of Peter Diamandis? Peter Diamandis. No. Mm-mm. Yeah, a real interesting guy. He's very futuristic. He's very into exponential technologies. He was the inventor of the X Prize, which was a $10 million prize to the first company that could put a reusable spacecraft ah, into orbit, yes. bring it back to Earth, and, and, and reuse it. And just... If you want a dose of optimism, go read any of his books. He's he just uh, maybe overly optimistic, but he'll give you a good sense of, of what's coming in the future. Well, he's and this is what I want people to go uh, check out. He has started a new uh, crowdsourced prediction site called Future Loop, and they're combining a concept from the wisdom of crowds, which is the idea that the many are smarter than the few. In other words, our, our collective intelligence independently assimilated or, or, or gathered is better than any single expert. And so this future loop, he, he has a prediction that he has a, a different people vote on and whether you're an expert or a novice, you, you, you rank your uh, capability in there. They're combining that with a element of artificial intelligence, and so I don't I don't know how that part works, but they're they're looking at a number of variables and then all the human input, and this future loop is making predictions about how soon will they have a coronavirus? When will the market uh, hit bottom? Who is going to be the new inventor of uh, revolutionary healthcare technologies? And it's really fun to watch and and see what. 
he what he's proposing, what his analysis is, is on these uh, different areas of, of the uh, the economy, and then what the results of the voting is by expertise, by gender, by age. You you, you could you can sort it all all different uh, variables. But FutureLoop.com, uh, Peter Diamandis. I want to give him a shout out because. I think he's doing some very, very interesting work. Well, we need a little optimism these days with all that's going on. And uh, I, I just think that's, you know, I'll take any optimism wherever I can get it at this point, Brian, because there's so much on the other end of the spectrum that's out there. So even if it's a little bit too much glass half full, you know, it's not a bad thing these days. No, 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 never. And and really one of the things that he was talking about most recently was, well, the, the two that I mentioned, one was when are we going to get a, a vaccine or a treatment for the coronavirus. And uh, the other one was who was going to invent the most revolutionary health monitoring technologies? Was it going to be an existing company? And he gave a couple choices, or is it going to be a new startup? And if you look at uh, wearables, okay, this this is the angle that I think most people have not considered on the, the virus monitoring. But have you ever heard of the whoop strap, uh, the aura ring, and, and certainly you've heard of the Apple Watch. Yes, on the Apple Watch, not on the Whoop strap, you said? Yeah, W-H-O-O-P, Whoop strap. These are devices, and the, the Aura ring is O-U-R-A ring, R-I-N-G. And, and you wear it just like a, a, a ring. These are all devices that you are wearables, and they are monitoring through a like a laser light. I think that it, it, it's non it's not necessarily contact or and it's not anything that's penetrative or, or probing. It's a laser that's measuring your heart rate, your blood oxygenation level, your all these vital signs, and it can detect if you've got a fever, if you've got a exposure to a virus. So the, all of these things are going to be coming available where we don't have to worry about the testing or having blood drawn or things like that, these wearables are actually going to be able to detect when you've got symptoms of a virus. And and there's going to be some privacy issues around this, but when you've been in contact with other people that may have been infectious or if you've been in a place where you're, you're more prone to infection... It can track all of that, and actually, you know, is, if you can get over the, uh, the the privacy and the big brotherish aspect of all of that, it could be a huge help in allowing people to get about their normal lives and detect these things before they become a problem and and be able to get get treatments. So a uh, lot of exciting stuff there. I, we, we have to do another another podcast on all of that another day. Yeah, uh, we'll do a futuristic podcast, talk about all the, the crazy things that are coming into the future. And, you know, we, we talk about emerging markets from a financial and investing standpoint. Those are some real emerging markets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, emerging yeah. Uh, biotech. Uh, yeah, all of all of these yeah, things, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, what's uh, if anybody has questions about you know where to go from here, Brian? What they should do next? Uh, what will that process look like with you? How can they you know kind of get started with all of this? Because we certainly covered a lot of ground today. Well, obviously, I, I want to give people the opportunity to get help on these things, or at least explore ways that they can evaluate their own portfolio for. You know, the quality and it are, are, are the dividends and the, the sector exposures that they have, is, is that good? And so if they will go to Calendly.com 
So it's C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y, Calendly.com, forward slash B-D-O, B-D-O-E. You can go straight to my calendar. You do not have to call the office. You do not have to come in. You do not have to come in contact with anybody. You can actually set up a virtual uh, go-to meeting session, and we can just do an introductory call. Or um, I've got a couple of exercises. One that we'll we'll talk about uh, next time called Portfolio CPR, and we, we can do a, a Morningstar snapshot to give them some an- analytics on their portfolio, so that we can articulate: Can we add value? Can they improve things? Do they have risks? Uh, lurking in their portfolio that they're not aware of. So go to calendly.com forward slash BDO and uh, do a 15 minute or 30 minute uh, go to meeting. You, you actually see my face if you want to do video. If you don't want to do video, we can just do audio and I can share the worksheets and the, uh, the, the process with them online. Very cool. And we'll put a link to calendly.com and uh, slash BDO. Uh, for you to be able to access that easily. Just check the show notes of today's episode and you'll see that link available to you to schedule that time to have a conversation with Brian about your financial plan, your own situation, and get that customized guidance on where to go from here, how to make it all work. And I just, uh, I love these episodes and getting kind of a peek into Brian's brain a little bit into what he's looking at, what he's thinking about, and kind of projecting forward a little bit, looking for those opportunities while still maintaining, of course, all of the basic and important financial planning and uh, retirement planning principles. But always interesting kind of exploring these different roads in this kind of new world that we're living here in this, you know, intra uh, coronavirus world, as Brian said it off the top that we are now into. Uh, We'll also put in the show notes today links to uh, some of the things that Brian mentioned. So if you want to check out uh, more information about Peter Diamandis uh, and the future loop and some of the things that Brian mentioned, we'll put links to that in today's show notes as well to give you some more resources to read about and check out and explore. But uh, Brian, thank you for the help on today's show. Really enjoyed the venture uh, down this road and getting to learn about all these things. Yeah, this has been cathartic. I'm actually feeling a little, even more optimistic than when I uh, got out of bed this morning. Just talking about it excites me. We've, we've been trying to do some of these things and get some of these things in place and get people to adopt them uh, for a while now. And I feel like we're actually really ready and primed for uh, the situation at hand. So look forward to talking to anybody that has questions or could use some help Again, with Again, go to calendly.com slash or check the show notes or the description of today's episode on whatever app you're using, and you'll find the link directly to Brian's calendar where you can schedule that time to meet in the near future. For Brian Doe, virtually, uh, vir- virtually, virtually, a chance to meet virtually in the near future. <laughs> that's right. Uh, for Brian, keep everybody that's right, safe. Exactly. For Brian Doe, I'm Walter Storholt. I hope you enjoyed today's show. We'll have another great topic on the agenda. For next episode, we're going to be talking some more about what that portfolio CPR actually looks like when you come in to meet with uh, Brian virtually or, uh, or you know, maybe sometime back in the future again in person. We're also going to talk about uh, Alpha, Beta, Sigma, Sharp, and now Gamma. What in the world do all those things mean? Uh, we're going to talk about it. It's, it's all, all Greek. Greek. That's right. A little hint for you of what's coming up on the next episode. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Make the Dough Rise. Make the Dough Rise is brought to you by Living Worth Wealth Advisors with a central office in Greensboro, Georgia, but serving the Lake Country and beyond. 
The podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite podcasting apps. Subscribe today and never miss an episode. Just search for Make the Dough Rise with Brian Doe. You can also visit MakeTheDoughRise.com to listen to recent episodes. If you'd like to contact the show or schedule a complimentary financial review with Brian and the team, just go to MakeTheDoughRise.com and get in touch through the website. Or call 706-451-9800. Thanks for listening to Make the Dough Rise. Investment advisory services offered through Main Street Financial Solutions, LLC. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed.